Midlife Moxie. We are a community and podcast all about midlife women making this one of the best seasons of their lives. Well, I'm one of your hosts, Gail. And I'm Christina. We're going to be sharing our stories, struggles, and joys while bringing you experts on topics that you care about. And we're going to do it while having a whole lot of fun. So buckle up, girls. Let's get our moxie on. Well, hi, Midlife Moxie fans. We're back with another fantastic episode. And today we have found someone who is just incredibly inspiring. And we know from a recent poll in our Facebook group that inspiring stories are something that you want to hear. And Mm -hmm. this one is not going to disappoint. Our guest today is Sarah Foley. And Sarah is just the most beautiful blonde bombshell. I mean, gorgeous. And she caught my eye on Instagram. And she's one of those people that I thought I need to know her. I need to talk to her. I want to be in her circle. And the thing you don't know about Sarah is that she is a paraplegic because you're not going to hear that in her voice. We just know that from following her on Instagram. And she's here today. And we just can't wait to hear from her. Hi, Sarah. Welcome. Aloha, everyone. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you. Hey, hey, hey. Well, Sarah, we are so excited that you're here and we want to hear all the things. So, you know, just start in and tell us a little bit about yourself and your story. For sure. So I was born and raised in Salt Lake City, Utah, and um, I keep kind of moving away to warmer climates and then I come back and every time Mm -hmm. I come back, I don't understand myself. So, um, but I... Let's see, where do I start? I had a background in television and the spa industry. So I've always been kind of a lover of the the camera and media and things like that, um, as well as wellness and um, gained a lot of business insight, especially from my time um, working in television in Palm Springs. Uh, well, when I was 30, I was living the high life. I had actually landed the dream job at the time I was running the spot at Park City Resort. Um, I was dating a new guy, madly in love, Ooh. like making the best money I'd ever made. Life was just really, really good. And um, the boyfriend and I, Sean, we ended up going on a on a little weekend vacation uh, down in southern southern Utah, down in Bryan Head. And we went down with another couple and went with some four wheelers and we had an experience that would change everyone's life. And, um, we were, we kind of went up on this trail. I was very inexperienced. They were very experienced. And I kind of jumped to this part of the story quickly because I used to spend a lot of time on just the story of what happened. And Mm. what I realized is that the magic is what I did with it. So I almost kind of like to get this just done. Um, While it is dramatic and it is intense, um, it was my cracking open moment. And then I feel like what I've done with it has been just magical. So if I'm jumping to this quickly, I guess that's why. But uh, so we went up with the other couple and I was inexperienced. They were very, very experienced. Sean had done everything to keep me safe, put me on the bigger four wheeler, helmet, crash course, easy fire access road, 
And at one point the guys went on up ahead to make sure that it was safe for us. And we saw the other boyfriend at the top of the hill saying, you're good, you're good. And what we didn't realize was that Sean was coming back down the hill to get us and take us up safely. And so when I went up starting to go up, um, I came around the bend and I saw Sean coming at me full speed and panicked. And in that moment, I remember thinking, just get off the trail, get off the trail. So I jerked the handlebars to the right. And, but I remember looking left at him and he had thrown himself so far to the side that if I would have just gone straight, I would have been fine. But I hit a ditch and I started flipping and that landed on me about three times and instantly broke my back at T4. So it's like right around where your bra strap goes around your rib cage and broke almost every rib, um, snapped my clavicle in half. And right away, I couldn't feel my feet. I couldn't feel my legs. And um, it took Life Flight a while to get there, about an hour and a half. And I just wow, take, wow, that's very. It was a long, long time. time, especially when I mean You're Sean in- is panicking. I'm in pain. Like yeah. I'm trying to keep him calm so that I'm calm. Ten and, minutes I mean, it was is a lot in an emergency. Yeah, ten minutes, yes. an hour and, what, and a half. Wow. And what really hurt was the clavicle. So I was holding myself on the side. I was really adamant that if I didn't move, I would be fine. And um, it was actually a second grade teacher that kept coming to mind. She had told us this story in second grade about someone on a motorcycle mm-hmm. and accident. And after they moved and was when the injury occurred. So I was like, if I'm just, if I move, I follow the rules, I'll be fine. And um, so I was holding my clavicle kind of intact. And then they finally got there and took me to Las Vegas because it was a closer hospital. And what I don't, rem- I don't remember this next part, but my mom later told me probably just about two years ago. And this happened in 2012. So I just turned 30. And now I'm just about to turn 40. So almost wow. a decade into this, which is nuts. Um, but she said, I called her. She immediately got onto a flight. She landed in Vegas, opened up her bag, turned on her phone. And I was calling at that moment. And she said, I sounded really scared. And she said that I told her that, that the doctors think that if they can relieve the pressure, that I'll be able to walk again. And hmm. I, I wish she would have told me that sooner because I felt like my whole years after the accident was about, and even before, was about just relieving the pressure. Like the pressure to be a certain way, to say a certain thing, to play by the rules, to do whatever. But it was, seems like as I learned to release that pressure myself is when I really began to walk through life. Like that is mm. how I discovered my path. So yeah, that's so the, super powerful. Don't I, you think? I, well, because yeah. I'm, I, you began with saying this was the moment that it, it cracked open everything. Mm-hmm. And then you went into relieving the pressure. And when you crack something open, what does that do? It relieves pressure. Yep. All of it. Wow. Wow. So keep going. Tell us, tell us the well, can rest. We, can of- we ask a few questions there before we go forward? Of course. Oh, of course. Christine yeah, and I go. have to work this out sometimes. You know, we, there's very little planning into what we're inside here. Um, <laughs> I'm thinking about, like you said, you knew you couldn't feel your feet, but you know, a lot of times with an injury, we can't feel something or we think, or there's a lot of perceptions. 
Did you know immediately something was very, very wrong? I did, but I don't think I wanted to admit it to myself. Yeah. I think that even in the hospital, you know, um, I was in Vegas hospital for about three weeks. Then they transferred me to Craig hospital in Colorado, um, which is where Superman went. It was like the, the place. And actually on my way there, I contracted spinal meningitis and really oh almost died. Like I got so sick. So by the time I landed, I was like screaming that my head was going to explode. And they got me into a spinal tap and realized I was wow. just gotten this massive wow. infection. So I don't remember that next 10 days, uh, at all, but every step of the hospital, I just never thought that I wouldn't walk out of the hospital. Hmm. Like I just assumed it would be fine. Like I don't know if it was denial or optimism or a mixture of both, but like, I just never imagined. And because I didn't imagine in retrospect, I didn't work as hard as I could have in my rehab because those really, really early days are so important when to keep that connection of the mind body. And I know all this now, like now I've been on this whole discovery of it, but I wish I would have known that then of keeping that mind body connection and, and visualizing and working to move things. I just assumed it would start moving. Yeah. I just assumed. So. Well, and, and this is giving people and, and our audience is giving them an opportunity to see how important it is to keep that connection. Because when you're in such a whirlwind like that, it's really hard to know what the next best step is to do. Sure. You know, you're just trying to stay alive. That (laughs) in modern medicine, there's a little bit of a perception that that can fix anything. Don't y'all feel that way? Well, just fix it. It's modern medicine. We put people on the moon. We can, it's hard to face something that can't be fixed medically, I think. And it's something we don't prepare for really. And their whole thing was just to get you independent enough to go home. And their biggest thing was every single spinal cord injury is different. Some people get everything back. Some people get nothing back. Some people can move a pinky. Some people can control their bladder. So like everything is so different because that spinal cord is so, it's got so much information running through it. So I had always held on to the hope because mine was just compressed. So it just been squeezed by the break. It hadn't been severed where a lot of people, it gets like severed in the injury. So the whole thing of them relieving the pressure was just about to open that up. So I held on to that and I just assumed it would be okay. But I think that there is a lack in those very early moments of the mind body as well as the emotional. And I, I know for a fact, and I've done so much work now to get it out of my body, but our traumas get like impaled into our bodies when they happen, especially something that is like an instantaneous. Yes. Um, And then ones that are like repeated traumas, those get layered in. So I wish, and you know, they had a, they had a therapist there that I was scheduled to meet with. He didn't show up for one and he was late for the other. So I got like one and a half sessions. And now I'm like, I would have thrown a fit. Like now I so believe in therapy and coaching and the mind and all these things. But I mean, you weren't 30. What do we know at 30, right? We don't know. I knew nothing at 30. 30. Well, but it it just, 
it also goes to show though, that you need to be an advocate for your own health, right? Because yeah. but 30 year olds not- think they're invincible. Well, didn't really? you, Christina? Really? Uh, come on now. Mm. I know you did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you well, were testing yeah, out I, the invincibility I factor. I, I best I remember I, this story. I'll <laughs> say this. I didn't know what questions to ask. And so, you know, that, that yeah. is, yeah. that I is lived in I the bliss of ignorance, thinking everything right, will be fine right, and that people right. will do the right thing and that the medical yes. system couldn't possibly fail me. I would have thought those kind of things. Yes. So yes, the cord is compressed, not severed. Um, they're telling you, you might can get this back. You're working to get this back. At what point did you realize I am not going to walk? Yeah. Or is that still true? Is it, will you never walk again, Sarah, at this point? Or is it still a possibility? I, I will. I hold okay, on to that. Yes. I still do. And I think it's because I'm an internal optimist and I, oh, she's a seven on the Enneagram. <laughs> I am the eternal Optimist. And I see everything has opportunity. Mm. Everything has beauty. Everything holds opportunity. And that is literally like the core of my teaching is you are fully capable of experiencing your beautiful, rich, successful life right now. Like yes. it is a matter of perspective. You just gave me chills, Sarah. I mean, like, I can't write the quotes fast enough. Yeah. <laughs> okay. It's, so you're so capable of it. Has, and Has there been improvement since the accident and where you were then to where you are today? Yes. So when I got discharged from the hospital, it was kind of a bittersweet day because again, Mm -hmm. I didn't think that I wouldn't walk out. So, but in the hospital, I was everyone's biggest fan. I had like a revolving door. I had gifts. I, I mean, it was kind of like you're a celebrity, right? Like everyone puts their life on hold for you. Then you come home and everyone goes back to their life. Yeah. And I had nothing. I literally, the only thing that got me out of bed every day was 11 a.m. prices, right? I kid you not. For like, because you weren't married. Straight. So were you living alone? But we were dating. Uh, I was living with my mom at the time because I had broken up with a previous relationship and was moving and lived with her temporarily looking for a place when I got hurt. So she ended up renovating her house. Sean ended up renovating his house. He had a split level. So he was like carrying me in and out. Finally put an elevator in that. I mean, everyone went to work. Like they just made it work. And that was Sean's biggest gift. He made it work. And Mm. I mean, even in the hospital, I remember some of the nurses were like, so are you a celebrity? I was like, why? And they're like, well, because you're your boyfriend got you like the celebrity room. Like we hold this room at the hospital for like VIPs and like politicians. Like this is a big deal that you're in this room. And so he, he's an old, he's a salesman and he's great and he just can whip it out. So, (laughs) but now this is in Palm Springs, right? Uh, No, I'm living back in Utah at this point. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Cause I'm thinking mm-hmm. there's no, not enough celebrities in my area for there to be a celebrity room at the hospital. Um, that's well, never the, been offered. The, <laughs> I've never seen so that on the checklist. It's a Las Vegas hospital where that happened. But he would just, he just made everything work. He made his house work. He made trips work. Like he just made it work. And, but all of us, I think we're just in denial. We were just trying to make the best of it. Mm. And so I went back to work at the spa really quickly. Like we just kind of kept moving and I really wish I would have focused in more. So So keep going. I'll I'll ask you a second. 
So it wasn't, so we ended up getting married. We got married on the anniversary date of the accident, thinking oh. we'd make it a good day and not a bad day. We wow. got pregnant very easy, had a baby, like he basically slipped out because it was a natural <laughs> epidural. It was the easiest thing I've ever done. My son has been <laughs> so easy. <laughs> like I'm so grateful for that kid and he's very independent. Um, he actually just had his birthday on Saturday and three of the different parents came up to me and said that my son has either stood up if the kids are picking on their kid, like he is the kid that's what making sure everyone's okay. And that's I so think cool. he just, he gets that from making sure mom's okay. So, mm-hmm. um, we just kind of kept going through the motions and that next four years was really, I call my denial years. And at, Let's see. I can't remember. I'm trying to do math in my head. 2017, Sean gets offered a job transfer opportunity to Maui. And that is when I finally was able to leave the job, be totally in my body, totally present. What am I going to do? And I had this idea that I would find healing in Maui. And that's, I, I mean, healing is an understatement. I found the people, the healers, the Hawaiian practices, the mind body connection. I found personal development. I found fitness. I found all of that in Maui. It was the most healing energy. Mm. And I just surrounded myself with it. And I invited it in like my whole, everything about me was like, I am looking for and waiting for people to enter my life that were going to help me in some way. And I just started coming out of like, just blossoming. And mm. I, I love personal development. I found this therapist who was called a half, like, I don't know. She just had, she could speak another language. She just could tap in to the body and get me to tap in the body and have new conversations with myself. And I just got to this place of incredible self-love and acceptance. And that is the point where healing can take place. When we accept what has happened, it's like I said, those first four years, it was like, just get on with it. Just get on with it. So those first four years were denial years and nothing can transpire in denial because you're not right. accepting where your starting point is. Like GPS only works if you know when you're where you're starting. And so that acceptance of this is where I'm starting. This has happened. What do I need to do with this? What still needs healing? What am, what is my body trying to tell me? What am I avoiding? Like that's when all the pressure started to come off because I think the majority of our pressure is resisting that something has even happened in the first place. Right. It's resisting the thing we cannot change. So as soon as you started to accept is when you discovered your healing is what I hear you saying. It's like, I'm accepting this and, and that's gotta be a hard thing to accept. Like, okay, I'm accepting this. What does that look like now? Because of the stereotypes I had around disability. Right. So, so tell us about that. So disability, I don't know about you guys, but before I had a disability, I did not have any friends that had disabilities. I had never experienced anyone with a disability. If they were in a wheelchair, they were either in a hospital, they were super old. That is all I saw. Anything in media, any, I mean, anywhere you'd see it, it is the 
poor them, or it's purely for inspiration. Um, it's, it is a world that you just, you've never have experienced before. And so my head went, Oh my God, like I am destined to be unemployed on disability, overweight, unhealthy, unhappy. I like unsuccessful, all the things that I had in my head about what disability meant. Now, when did that occur? Was that immediate or that was, that was pretty immediate. And I had a really hard time even looking in a full body mirror. Like I could get ready. I could do this. But then when I would see a full body mirror, I would just, it would feel wrong because I love fashion. I love feeling beautiful and putting on a whole like look, but then I would see the look in the wheelchair and it didn't look right. Like it looked like it, there was a disconnect. I was like, Mm -hmm. I can't be like stylish in a wheelchair. I can't be sexy in a wheelchair. Like the two like didn't compute in my own brain. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. It does because I feel the same way about me being overweight. I walk by mirror sometimes and it's kind of like, who is that? There's a disconnect between who you always envisioned yourself to be and who you've always been. And then Mm -hmm. what's staring back at you and you you tend to turn away from those things. But you Mm -hmm. know, Sarah, you start to avoid it or you start to become it. Because we can't be here all day, we only get you where you're so gracious with your time to give us this, this interview. I want to make sure we really get into how you, like when I've watched you on social media, when I'm talking to you, there's no resentment, there's no bitterness. And I find that super interesting. Because a lot of people who suffer serious injuries or extreme loss, they never get past that to live mm-hmm. a new life. So can we talk about how how you did that? Like, wh- what was the turning point? What were the keys? Because you live a very, very full and successful life. Mm. I do. And I'm, and I'm very proud of it because I've worked really hard. Um, and I think the turning point was... Oh, there was multiple, but the biggest one was when I got to redefine that stereotype for me. So I had met this artist in Maui. Her name's Christina DeHoff. She's now like a dear, dear friend. One of like in my top five of best friends. Um, but I'd met her and have you ever met someone where you almost feel like you aren't wearing clothes? Like they're looking right into you. Like you yes. feel just like naked in front of them almost. And she just like looked into my soul. I was like, whoa, like I feel like I need to cover up. What are you seeing right now? (laughs) And she did these gorgeous portraits and she would paint people as like a goddess or a mermaid or they were just so angelic and, and wings and they were just so beautiful. And she's like, yeah, these are my fantasy commission portraits. And I was like, wow. And she's just like, what, what would be your fantasy? And I said to walk on the beach again. And she says, well, I can paint that. And she says, I'd like to paint that for you. And so to do the painting, she first did a photo shoot with me. Um, and because she needed to capture my things and then go back and paint it. And we did this photo shoot and I decided to wear this really sheer kind of blue drapey thing. You could kind of see through it that I was nude underneath, but I wanted it to feel like her pictures were very feminine and sensual and 
the female figure. They were just gorgeous. Um, and I had my hair and I sat in my chair and up until that point, I would usually either make sure the photographer didn't get my chair in a picture or I would transfer into a prettier chair and take a picture of my full body. Like I was so Mm. against the chair being pretty. So I'm in this, I'm in my chair. I'm feeling more beautiful than I'd ever felt. And she's taking my photo and I feel so accepted and loved and gorgeous. And I felt breathtaking in my chair for the first time. Wow. And it was like, I even have the video. My mom videoed us having a conversation afterwards. And I said, I think I found my calling. It is to help others feel that same way in their circumstances. And so that one just spiraled everything. It was like, how do I get more of that feeling of feeling incredible in my circumstances? And so there was an acceptance. I accepted the chair. There was a redefining of I can be beautiful and sexy and fun and successful and have a disability. And it was like, I was a rebel. Like I felt so like, oh my God, it's game on. And from that point on, I literally get ready every single day with that intention. Anyone that I see, I'm aiming to redefine disability for them. So that is what like gets me up every day. Well, you know, Sarah, before, before we came on, you, you had mentioned and, and I was ignorant to this. So you mentioned the, the difference between disability and disabled and what you are expressing right now is exactly how I felt when you were telling us about this. So can you share with our callers or not our callers, I'm sorry, our community. <laughs> I forgot. We're on the You're podcast stuck on that today. Name. We're not- You're stuck on that <laughs> name. Caller number one. A caller. Yeah. What do totally. you want to know today? <laughs> Explain to us the difference and how you view it, because that was really, I mean, just really eye opening to me and how I engage with people who do have disabilities and, and how I walk that out. I, I think it's really, it's really good for them to know. So share that with us. Well, I always think people like person first language, um, you know, someone, a person with a disability, it feels different than me to me than disabled. Um, and it, it really is a personal preference and some people will get very angry. I tend to not get angry because I always think of myself and how ignorant I was. And I like, I was never trying to be mean. I just didn't know any better. So I think that, um, it, it really comes down to personal preference, but the majority is persons with a disability. So I'm a woman. I do have a disability. Like it's something that's a part of me, but it's not my label. It's so, not all of you. It's not all of I think when we say disabled, that almost, you know, it's just like if you say you're going to disable a machine, you render that useless, not working, not doing anything. And when mm-hmm. we put that label on people, are we basically saying the same thing? And I'd never thought about that till you said it, that yeah. that's so yeah, wholly exactly. encompassing to people who have so much still to offer. And yeah. I think they're not in that frame of mindset to redefine it, like intentionally redefine it, you become it. Right. And so 
there are those stereotypes for a reason and they do have to be broken by people getting out more and doing things that are defying the old stereotypes. But then it's a vicious cycle because the world's not accessible. And so staying home is sometimes easier than going out because there's stairs everywhere or the accessible entrance is the back one through the nasty kitchen. Like it's, there's a long way to go. Um, really still today that, because oh, God. people who are yeah. upright, I'm going to be honest, I don't pay attention to where there are ramps mm-hmm. and where there is accessibility because it's not the life I live. And to be a good advocate for people with disabilities, mm-hmm. I need to be more aware. So thank you for saying that because yeah. I'm just assuming, oh, it's kind of like, a lot of us white people assume with racism, oh, that was handled in the 60s. I think a lot of us who do not have the same type of disability you do, because let's be clear, we've all got some disabilities. Mine tend to mm-hmm. reside in my brain a lot of times. <laughs> and I mean, let's just be clear. We all have some disabilities, but I, you know, they pass those laws and the, what is it? Americans, ADA, the ADA, ADA, mm-hmm. and ADA. we who are not, afflicted or impacted it's easy for us to say oh well we have the ada that's all taken care of and i love you saying that's not so people be aware racism is not over and ada did not fix that every place has accessibility well an ada is sort of your bare minimum that is like to code but if you want an equal experience that's another language like i have this thing where i take a picture of the top of my head in mirrors and bathrooms all the time because they're not low enough where I can see my full face. And so you don't feel seen. And so you don't, mm. you can't check your makeup. You can't make sure you look presentable. That just like, has to be a damn it moment. It's a damn it moment. And I, I take pictures of them on purpose. Like you'll see a lot of mirrors with just this much of my head showing. Um, and it's, it's that equal experience that I think is the big the big need, but it's okay. Great I have a question got- about that bathroom. Okay. This is a little off topic, but I'm going to ask because I've had this discussion. If there's no one with a disability or like wheelchair bound or something waiting, is it okay to use the handicapped toilet? I would say no. So never use the handicapped okay. toilet. Like I would just avoid it at all costs, unless it is like a conference and you're trying to just spin them. Like, you know, there's, they're packed in there. There's a line, but honestly, there is nothing worse than going into the bathroom and the last one's being used. You see their legs, you see no wheels and they come out bouncing out. They've been changing in their clothes, changing their clothes. And I have to wait, even though there's four other open stalls, cause my chair doesn't fit. So like, just don't even use it. Honestly, like if you can avoid it at all costs, it is not for you. Plain and simple. (laughs) It's not for you. And okay, I lost that one because I always look around, but I'm, I'm a a tall, fat girl. And I just, (laughs) that one, some of those others I've like, one time I was in a restaurant and I'd had a few margaritas and I had on these platform shoes and it was one of those tiny little stalls. And as I squatted, because I don't sit, I rocked forward a little bit and banged my head on the door. (laughs) I mean, I'm just a joke in a bathroom because I am plus size and tall. So I'll be honest, I've always headed to the handicapped one. Like I'll wait on it sometimes. So I have moved. So I didn't know that was wrong, Sarah. Well, if you can avoid it, it's just, I mean, 
hysterical. What if I look down the hall and there's no wheelchairs in sight and I hurry? Would that be then okay? Run. Run. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna go ah, la la la. There's always it. running when I'm going to the bathroom because well, it's well, usually well, starting I, to run down my leg. That's where we are in midlife. I think there should uh, also be toilets true. for midlife women. If you're under mm-hmm. 30 and haven't birthed a child, you you gotta go the slow line. There should be a express yes. lane for menopausal for, women. But oh, back comical. to the show. So I love and wheelchair just, user, not wheelchair bound. So think about your language. So the language is huge, right? Like we female wheelchair users. That was how, who I used to market to. I was doing a Mm -hmm. fitness program just for female wheelchair users and it's not wheelchair bound. It's not disabled. Like those, those are bigger labels. Right. And I Mm -hmm. am not bound by this chair. I'm in and out. I'm, you know, like I drive, I do all the things. So, um, yeah. So it's funny though, because we've got those little words that we yes. think are harmless and it's something well, that we've always and said. And that's something we ask you about before we start, because we wanted, we want to bring this to light. We want to be yes. an agent yes. for change and yes. we never want to be disrespectful. Now, going back to that scenario of restrooms, car transitions, doorways, some people seem to get offended when you offer to help yeah, how does that? How does should that land we offer with you? to help? Yeah, what what language should we use? How should we approach? Can so, we take a little sidebar down that yeah, since we got on the bathroom topic? This. Go back to person first. Am mm. I seeing the person first, or am I seeing that there's a wheelchair? If I'm seeing the wheelchair, then my brain thinks they need help, right? Like there's mm-hmm. a there's a thing going on, or they're they've got a disability. But if you see the person first, and I am a firm believer that when we see people as capable, they are capable. When we see them as incapable, they are incapable. That goes for ourselves. That goes for people in our life. It goes for our kids, especially our kids. Mm-hmm. So should right? we let so, them try first themselves? Is that where you're going with that? Always, always. always yeah. If you see that they are starting to struggle and you see the struggle, kind of take the, the disability out of it. If they were if each of you saw each other struggling, you would offer to help. If they weren't struggling, you wouldn't say crap. You'd say well, hurry up. Right? Sometimes. Sometimes we would. No, I'm kidding. Christina about laugh first, to be honest. We, no, I love her. I would yeah. help her. And I do love to help people because like, even if I see a short person in the market, I'm tall. I can get those what? beans off the top. Why do you always go there, the short person? Because no, I'm, I'm just Sarah, saying. I'm only five foot. Haven't you seen people that are about to climb that grocery shelf? Yes, and hey, I mother. can reach that girl. Let me help you. But so. Yeah. In yeah. that instance, like if they're going to climb, like you see, it's a struggle, like do it, but there is nothing more rewarding than doing something that is difficult. Yeah. And when you do something for other people, you're taking away that, like you're taking away that opportunity of pride. So what we think may be helping may be insulting. Look, well, you're yeah. just, you're seeing the need. You're not, you're not seeing yeah. the person. Yeah. And so that yeah. is, I think my biggest recommendation is like a quick check. Am I seeing the person first? Am I saying hi to them? Am I getting to know them? Like the people in my life, they don't see the disability. They see me. I held a retreat for the girls I was coaching here um, in Park City. And we did like these little interviews with each one afterwards just to see how it went. There was 10 girls. 
And I didn't do the interviews. It was the the director and the camera guy. And the director came up to me afterwards. And I'll never forget it because it was so important for me to remember this. He said, each girl said the exact same thing in her own words. He said, I want, they all said, I want to be seen for the woman I am and not the chair I'm in. Mm. You, you know, Sarah, so, with that, I have, um, so where I work out at, one of the trainers is in, he's in a wheelchair and there is another gal that comes in and she's in a wheelchair and she's, she's awesome. She's so funny. Now, why right there, should we use that language? They're in a wheelchair or should we say they use a wheelchair? Yeah. Yeah. Either one. They're in a wheelchair. That's okay. All right. Okay. Mm -hmm. And, and she comes in and she, she's like, I got this. Like she just makes sure that you know that she is strong. She is tough. And she, she knows her worth and she knows her value. And I so love that about her because she's not this. And this is what I love about you, Sarah, is that it's not, you're not sitting here going, I'm the victim. I'm the victim. I'm the, I'm the victim. Mm -hmm. It's like, I'm a person. Yeah. I'm a person. And and I can show up just as much as you can. And I think that's super powerful. I, I do want to talk about your, your fitness journey because I find that fascinating when it comes to being, being in a wheelchair and having to do the upper body strength. Like I watch her work out and I'm like, Dude, you can do a freaking pull up. Well, like, I just I think about rolling yourself around all day, especially yes, at my the size. Strength. That the would strength. be the strength. But wheeling is only one direction. Like you're just pushing the same muscle all day long. And so I actually ended up gaining a lot of weight. Um, mm. especially after we had moved to Hawaii, which is weird because you're in like less clothing, but there was a point <laughs> there that I started to gain on, put on weight and I was not being active. The weight was coming on faster. I was like, what is going on? And I had been kind of a gym rat before my accident. I loved working out. I loved mm-hmm. boxing typo, like all the things. And, uh, I just felt like I, had, I couldn't do any of it anymore. I, I needed to really break through that. I just got to adapt it, but I really missed being in the gym. And the thing that was holding me back was I didn't want to go in the gym and look stupid and not know how to use the machines now that I was sitting down. And so I would like literally drive through the parking lot of the gym by my house all the time. Be like, today's the date. Nope. Tomorrow's the day. Today's the date. Nope. Tomorrow's the date. Like over and over. Just like, you know, the fact that you kept getting in the car and driving over there, Shows that you kept trying and you kept kept seeking the breakthrough because so many of us, if we did that once, we would just not do it again. We would turn Mm -hmm. away. We become, Mm -hmm. we become discomfort adverse. We become Mm -hmm. pain adverse. We become, you know, courage adverse almost that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I really, I really craved it. And I think it was because I was starting to feel like I was losing a sense of my body again. And I, I knew what that felt like the first time you, again, mm. I was still on this healing journey and I was really welcoming in anyone and everyone that I met. And okay. I want you to say that it, again. You felt like you were losing a part of your body again. Again. Yeah. So, wow. That's a powerful statement, Sarah, especially for, as we, some of us who have gained weight and can't do the things we used to, because I used to do a lot of things. And, you know, that's my disability. 
And the way you framed that is really just hitting something for me. And I wonder if a lot of women that, you know, say say the quote again. I want the audience to really see if I can remember how I, how I worded it just now that as I was putting on the weight, I was starting to, I, I can't remember what I said just now. Yeah, I was a loot. Yeah. I was losing, um, just that sense of feeling beautiful and feeling good and, and my energy levels and like all of that was being affected because I was putting on weight. And you knew and what loss felt like. I, you I already didn't know knew. what loss felt like. So mm-hmm. you were signaled by that in a different way than somebody like mm-hmm. me who's always been active might not see the signals and the danger and the red alert till it's not too late until we've got a real crisis. So totally. that awareness, Sarah, and this new awareness you had of your body and your abilities because you had to fight for every single thing. That's right. Yeah. You were aware well, and if I got you were so aware. Like I always say that self-awareness is the hottest thing anyone can wear. Like <laughs> like self-awareness. Like if we know and if we know what our crutches, if we know what our our excuses, if we know I I mean I talk to people with disabilities all the time. I'm like, you know you use your disability as an excuse when you don't need to use it. Like you don't feel like going somewhere. Oh, my body's hurting or I had a problem with my wheelchair. No, I didn't. I just don't want to go. And it's an excuse that no one can, can fight with. So then I got really aware of like, I'm not going to use it as my excuse anymore. I am now going to own that. And I think that ownership is where true power and change can happen. Well, because you're sorry, Sarah, but mm -hmm. because you're coming from a, now you're coming from a victor standpoint. Yes. You're not coming from the victim standpoint. And when you said that, I was like, oh my gosh, you're right. Who can argue with somebody who's saying, oh, I, my body really hurts today or yeah. gosh, my wheelchair, it's, it's broken. Like one of yeah. the spokes a isn't working. Off, like, yeah, whatever. Like, right? No one's going to argue with that. And I right. think that we get in that habit. You could even be using that as your weight, right? right. Like with your weight of you know, I'm overweight. I can't do this. And it, the minute you get that out of the way and you start to say, what am I take? What do I need to take ownership over? Mm-hmm. Why do I not want to do the things? Why am I using as an excuse again? Like that was when things started to just open up and you're right. You go from a victim to a victor. You go from yeah. playing the victim. And because when I use the disability as my excuse, that also you're, takes away all my power to do right. anything about it. Right. Cause, Cause now you're I defining can't change it. Yeah, you're defining yourself as this is I'm disabled. Now mm-hmm. I'm I'm using that word, right? Because yep. now I'm defining myself as disabled. Yeah. And you don't want people to look at you as disabled. Do you want somebody to look at you with I'm a woman who has a disability? Mhm. Yeah. And absolutely. That's so powerful, girl. Like I'm We so did tell excited. you this was a 3-hour session, right? We <laughs> did we tell you that? <laughs> You, you've got to fix. We might have to have her come back because she's so awesome. Oh, Sarah, like, Sarah I mean, you are giving me all the feels today because yeah. I love powerful women and I mm-hmm. love incredible stories and I love people that are unique. And you may not see how unique you really are. I've been working with women for 27 years mm-hmm. um, 
And I've seen people use a hangnail as an excuse. I've seen people mm. use so many mm. things as an excuse. And you yeah. basically live a life with no excuses because instead of taking that easy route and settling into a place that is an excuse for not living, basically, mm. you have defined how you want your life to look. And I wish more people would embrace that. And I see a lot of women settle in very difficult, painful, awful places just because that's a place of comfort. It may be awful, but it's comfortable. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to stay right here. I'm not going to fight for mm-hmm. anything different. And there was a time in my life where I was in a terrible marriage. It was abusive. It was awful. And I didn't know how I was going to get out of there. But I kept looking for the opening. I kept looking. I just knew this had to change. There were times, and I guess I should say, the times I'm the saddest and I get the most depressed are when I think I don't have an option or I can't figure out. Mm-hmm. But you got it. Like you said, you kept figuring it out. You kept looking like you would ride around the gym. You kept yeah. circling the gym. You kept waiting on the courage. You kept looking for the opening. You kept waiting for the day. And I think a lot of us don't do that. We yeah. go to our corners. We sit. We accept. And we stop looking for the out the way and we blame i think no. we're, we're raised Girl. on blaming right it's always everyone else's fault it's someone cultural do here this. don't someone you think di- i think so and yes it, when we have something to blame we use it all day long like we use it over and over and i think that th- like only true change can happen when you literally take ownership for all of it so one of the biggest things that was transformational for me um, well, to finish the the fitness is that I finally, my sweet little boy ended up breaking his foot and that's sad, <sighs> but it led to something great. So he had to stay home from preschool daycare, um, because he couldn't walk on it. And he was two and tried telling a two-year-old they can't walk they can't on walk. their little foot. Oh, he like totally broke the cast. Like it, he was running, <laughs> but, uh, but he had to stay home for six weeks. So I had this little extra chunk of money that was normally for preschool daycare. And so I was like, I, I, this, it's a sign. I have to use this on the trainer. So I went in and I I got myself a trainer and I was like, I need someone that's going to kick my ass. That's going to get creative. And it's going to help me to do a pull-up. That was my goal. I wanted to do one pull-up and I wanted to feel confident enough for a two-piece. And so we got right to work and my transformation was so drastic because it was game on. Like I took full ownership Mm. of of everything of what I did with my time, of what I consumed mentally. Like I was so committed. And then what was great was that my trainer that I found, who's still a dear friend, we ended up starting a business together. Like he just ended up being such a a dream um, friend and partner in the life. So he... Um, he was really into personal development and business development at the same time. So we would have these sessions that were just so Mm -hmm. mentally exciting and like, Oh my God. And then I can create this and I can create this and support and you're getting fit and all that. It was just like the heavens opened up. And so I had this great transformation. And then from there, women started asking on social media, I'm in a wheelchair too. How the heck do I lose weight? So that's the business him and I started. We started Disability Icon Fitness. Good job. And it was to redefine disability, awesome. redefine the wheelchair user, um, and coach many women at this point. And 
yeah, so that whole process was absolutely amazing. And back to the ownership, this is something that was really powerful. And um, the Hawaiian practices are, they're life-changing and they're so simple and beautiful at the same time. And there's something called Ho'oponopono. Have you guys heard of it? I have. Some people have heard of it. I can't say it. Say it again for us. So it's Ho'oponopono. And it's literal trans... Opono, pono, pono. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's hard for a southern girl. Is to make right, and what you're doing is you're literally bringing all data down to zero, and you're forgiving and taking ownership of the part of you that is making you see something in some way. So it's four lines, super simple. I love you. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Thank you. So you're saying, so you can do this to yourself. You can do this to a person. You can do this to God. You can do this who you're holding responsible. You can do this towards your body. You can do this towards a situation. Say, I love you. Like I have love for what you offer me. I have love for you. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for seeing you in this way. I'm sorry for treating you this way. I'm sorry for behaving. I'm sorry for judging. Please forgive me for that. Thank you. And you are writing all wrongs. And I love it so much. Are those four always used together? Always. Mm -hmm. Yep. You need to use them together. And I actually take people on a meditation where it will literally take someone on a wave. So you'll start to say it to yourself and I'll, I'll say it, you repeat it back and we just keep going and keep going. And what happens is that whatever you're trying to heal will all of a sudden kind of come up like a wave within you. And people will just have these incredible emotional releases, like this crazy wave crashing. And then all of a sudden it'll start to subside. Like it's Mm -hmm. kind of been released out of their body. Yep. And then we do this meditation where we just go back to feeling the rhythm of the ocean. And I did this one for a group, um, uh, women at a retreat that I got to speak at and they'd all been sexually abused or physically abused as children. And now as adults, they're healing. And, um, we did that meditation for two and a half hours and just guided them through this and the, the release and the, the love for themselves and just everything that can take place from those four words is so powerful. But the thing I love the most is that it reminds me It's all how I am seeing something. Nothing has meaning until I've given it meaning. Mm. Nothing. You're just dropping one-liners on us I've run out of ink over here. I know. Like literally this this mechanical pencil is out of lead. This pen is out of ink. Oh my gosh. Nothing has meaning. Say that again. Nothing has meaning until we give it meaning. Like my cup of coffee. Right. It's some people, it's like, there's a cup of life. If someone that's like super healthy, super vegan, like all raw, this is a cup of death. So it's all your perception. And right. You've got a, a <laughs> drink got of Coke. You've got a <laughs> bottle of water. Even someone could say, well, now your water's in plastic. Like there, everyone has a meaning and it's all in your perception. And that is the power When I say you are fully capable of experiencing your beautiful, rich, and successful life 
right now. It is because in a blink of an eye, you can find beauty, you can find richness, you can find success Mm. in, in your life. But is what we choose to focus on, which is typically the blame and that things aren't going right. And then she did that Mm -hmm. and my body sucks and the life is awful and nothing goes my, goes my way. Blame and shame. All these stupid questions of why does this always happen to me? Instead Mm -hmm. of saying, I love you. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Thank you. What can I do with this moment? What can I do with this? How can I choose to see And are you saying those things to yourself? can say to yourself or to other people. So that was the, that was the biggest moment of healing for me was when I finally did this towards Sean. So Mm. to go back to Sean, if you remember in the story, he did Mm -hmm. everything to keep me safe, right? The bigger one, the helmet crash course went up. I had to make sure I was safe. And yet he couldn't, he couldn't keep me safe. Afterwards, he did everything to, you know, make it so I was okay and that I wouldn't feel any pain. And, um, almost to the point where he took away a little bit of my independence, he would just carry me instead of me trying to figure it out, like those kind of things. And what we realized was that after the accident, we did so much out of obligation. And Mm. it's neat because we had this conversation years after the accident of, he was like, I couldn't leave you. I couldn't be that guy. And I was like, well, I couldn't leave you because then I was broken and no one would ever want me again. Mm, so those, that was the meaning that, yeah, we both had this big obligation in our relationship. And yet we were both very optimistic people. We both could just make it happen. We could put it on like whatever, but our relationship, it, it, it lacked. And there was a lot of, you said you, you don't see bitterness now there was bitterness. And if anything ever went wrong, fell out of my chair, my bladder on an accident. I couldn't reach something. My immediate thing was, well, if he hadn't put me in this fucking chair. Yeah. Every single time. Mm -hmm. And our thoughts create an emotion, create a feeling, create an action, create our life. So I was having that. And so I was critical about him. I was entitled with him. I expected everything. I was bitter. I was all those things with him. And so I realized this through meditation and personal introspection of, whoa, like I, that is one that I need to forgive and let go. So I would do this towards him in meditation over and over. And then finally, one day I was like, okay, I need to do this in person. And I went to him Mm. and I just, I like grabbed his hand and I started saying (sighs) it. And he's kind of like, what the heck are you doing? Like, it's like, I love you. He's like, love you too. Like. I'm sorry. He's like, okay. Like what, where are you going with this? He had no idea what I was doing. Like any man would. (laughs) Yeah. He's like, we're going to talk about feelings. Run. Yeah. (laughs) But, but it wasn't about like, tell me what you're feeling. It was like, Hey, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for how I've treated you. I'm sorry for how I viewed you. I've held you responsible. Please forgive me. Thank you. He's like, okay, that means a lot. And I was like, Mm. no, he's not getting it. So I kept repeating it. And then finally he like sat up on the couch and I held him and I just remember pressing my heart into his so hard. And then finally, like I'm, I repeated it probably like six times. I just kept going and kept going. I was like, mm. something's got to happen here. Like I've got to feel something different. And all of a sudden his body just like melted and he started sobbing and he had the wave experience. And, uh, and afterwards he pulled away and he says, you have no idea how much I needed to hear that because it released I him. held 
my results self-responsible this whole time. Released him. You released him. You totally released him. It's my squeegee moment. Like I feel like we kind of look through life and we get all this grime and this dirty, dirtiness. But when we take accountability, we apologize. We say we're sorry. We ask for the forgiveness and then we Mm -hmm. thank it and we send it with love and not expectation. Like you got to put that out there and then just nothing. You don't expect a thing, right? It is for what you want to do and who you want to be in that moment. And it just changed everything for us. We could finally have honest conversations and we ended up splitting as, as a marriage and he's still one of my best friends. And we are a beautiful co-parenting relationship. We have managed to like defy every odd. And I think it's because we've gained such a respect and a love for each other through what we've endured and the honesty that came afterwards Mm. and our commitment to, we want our son to live, you know, a certain life. We want him to live without that resentment and know how to forgive and know how to love and all those great things. And so your intention and your ownership is key, man. Like if you don't take ownership, you can't change anything. Yeah. That, that was so powerful. I mean, because he was feeling a lot of guilt and you were feeling the resentment Totally. and then, and then this just so this is happened. it? Yeah, is it's it fair like, to say that those years where you walked into the marriage and tried, like you said, you kind of just went ahead, like let's pretend nothing's wrong, kind of almost. Right, right. Those weren't your exact words, but would you say that that season lacked honesty and truth? Oh, hundred percent. Mm. And we we say that too. Even my mom was like, "Oh my god, we all were just trying to survive." Right. And everyone is holding their breath trying to see what he would do. Because people probably, yeah, people probably gave him a lot of credit for staying. Oh, yeah, yeah, he stayed. But what was actually the truth? It might have been, would it have been better for you if you'd have both been honest? Or did this just take the path it needed to? I think, honestly, it took the path it needed to. I don't know in that moment if anything differently could have really happened to be quite frank. Um, Cause if he because left, he looked like a survival. jerk. We, we adored each other. If we you didn't marry him, early... you looked like a bitch. I mean, this is a mess. This was, yeah. There's a whole lot of <laughs> expectations and yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's just, it, it, yeah, I think it just held such weight and, and also people were holding on to this, like it was the most right. epic love story in right. history. People wanted to see what happened next. Cause we'd just oh, been dating no. for six months. So you're in that like early, you don't even know each you other. You can't phase. disappoint the people. Yeah. Right. And I was going to say like people pleasing, p- people pleasing, like are like, I'm yeah. still like perfect to him. He hasn't seen any of my ugly yet. You know, this and is like people like, magazine when Jared from subway gained all his weight back, you know, if that's what it, you know, you disappoint the people, but this is truth. This is reality. And we got to start, stop putting that on people. Yeah. This should yeah. have been you guys story. Shouldn't have involved anybody else really, you know? And, right. But people were yeah. watching and people always have opinions and people always, yeah, especially like your friends there and your family were probably like, you better do right for us. Yeah. And there was no inkling that anything was either, even wrong. Like he really did bond by, I mean, he, I don't know how he still had a job for how much time he took off to go fly out to me 
every chance he got. It was just this revolving, like, I'll see you in a day. Like he would go back for a day and then come right back. And every, anytime he was back home, he was remodeling his house or he, you know, put in a hot tub that was sunk in that was just in line with my wheelchair height. Like he thinks of those things. He's a, he's an incredible man, incredible man. And I'm sad that my resentment of what happened clouded me for so long too. You know, I really wish I would have had a different healing experience with that. But again, I think that you only learn it. You only gain that wisdom after you're out of it, after you've experienced it. And I always say that like, you never share your wounds when they're scabs or open or bleeding. You only share your wounds when they're scars and you've gained the wisdom. And this is now a scar, right? When I was in it, when we were going through the split, I didn't speak of our split publicly at all. People on Instagram were like, wait, you guys broke up? Like we didn't even know. And I was like, yeah, because it's an open wound. We're still healing through that. We're journeying through that. That's not for me to share. My closest friends know, but so wise. So wise. So I learned that, I think, the hard way once. Um, And I remember reading it in a Brene Brown book. She talked about as a, if you're in the public eye or a public Mm -hmm. speaker, you only share after you've you've gained your wisdom. Well, so. it's like trying to tell a story and you don't, the, the book's not finished. You yeah, know, you don't how know do you tell the yet. story? Because I, I totally agree with this. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes I don't share until I know the ending told the story has some type of, and our story's never complete. Don't get me wrong, but until there's something to that season, the lesson yeah. has come forth or the, the, overcoming or the loss or whatever it is. So there's some the type of, yes, Re- resolution to that. In some then you share the story in a retrospective. Plus sharing mm-hmm. a story wherein you're in it might not be shared objectively. Let's just all yes. admit it. Sure. Yeah, there's yes. a lot more higher emotions going on when you're Okay, so what was that Hawaiian word again? Ho. Ho. So it's H-O mm-hmm. apostrophe O and then P-O-N-O. P-O-N-O. And then again, P-O-N-O. So it's ho and Hawaiians pronounce all their um vowel, vowels and consonants like kind of separately. So it's ho o pono pono. Okay. So your your pono in Hawaiian is like your kind of purpose and duty and calling kind of wrapped into one, but a little bit deeper, more in your soul. Like it is what you are here on this world to do in, in goodness, right? It is your, your good offering to the world. So with Ho'oponopono, this means to make right. Okay. So I'm foreseeing a future episode and we like mm-hmm. to get people on the microphone mm-hmm. and to commit to things in front of everyone before we ask so we you can, we can hold your feet to the flame girl you're like we've got it on film and recording like you said yes you said it was but and like it's so funny because christina and i don't discuss these things but what you can tell like we're vibing on it like <laughs> Sarah, I would love for you to come back and talk about this whole O'Pono-Pono. Yes. And I mean, yes. I guide you guys through an experience. <gasps> that's really would powerful. You? And I've that done would be that. awesome. Yeah, I've done that virtually. I've done it even on my Instagram live and people have done it with them. But I think yeah. that Hairs that would be really standing powerful. standing up on my arms. She said it, y'all. To bring to release and 
It's, it's so powerful. I love it so much. I love it because it's so simple. Anyone can do it. And the release that you feel afterwards is palpable. Like you can, you know, Sarah, I think women need it. I think they need tools. I think they need practical applications, things that they can be active. Like uh, anytime I teach or train anything, I'm always trying to leave you with Mm -hmm. actionable items. Mm -hmm. I'm a meat and potatoes Mm -hmm. girl. Now, Christina just needs to feel good when she leaves. She just wants (laughs) it to have been fun and she felt good. I'm like, no matter how good I feel, I'm like, where's the one, two, three? When yeah, is the one, two, next? three? Well, um, I, I, no, I do like the one, two, three, I'm but just I also you. like, I also like that, that sense of the connectivity to my soul. So if you connect to my soul and I can feel that, it just makes that experience so much more powerful. Cause then I'm like, yeah, I want to do the actionable items. Yeah. Yes. Let's keep going. If you didn't have <laughs> that, fun though, you're not doing anything. <laughs> Well, it's funny because people search for strategy, right? They're always like, how do I do this? And they're Googling all day. How do I do this? How do I start a podcast? How do I do this with my husband? How do, like whatever, but it's not the strategy. Like the strategy is the easy part. Anyone can figure anything out, but it's the, it's the driver in your soul mm-hmm. that you have mm-hmm. to ignite in order for that to happen. And that was me going yes. in the parking lot round and round, right? Mm, like that was me don't. going to Sean and changing things around. Like you got to find something in your soul that you actually get leverage on yourself. Mm. And the leverage mm. on yourself comes from looking in the future. Ideally, how do I want this to happen? Now think about if it doesn't happen, think about in three years that nothing changes and feel the heaviness and feel where you feel it in your body. If nothing changes, yet you've got these big goals, what is that going to feel like? And if it's, if you're like, oh, it won't be that bad. And I'm like, well, then you're not changing it. That's why it's hard for us. To it's not important to you that, are, that doesn't. Yeah. That's why it usually takes a breaking point for things to actually change. You have that moment of like, no more enough. I'm over it. I cannot do this anymore. If I have one more day in this life, I'm going to scream. Right. And so you have, if you can create that moment in your mind by that future visioning and how do I really want it to be? And now look at three years and nothing's changed. You're in the exact same place, Mm. exact same relationship, exact Mm. same thing. Guess what? The common denominator is you, you, you Mm. have to take ownership for that. Ouch. Well, sh- oh I don't gosh. know about you, Gail, but Sarah is dropping some heaters. I'm ready to go post all over social <laughs> media be right honest, now. I, t- I, <laughs> I wasn't sure where this conversation was going to go today. We, you know, we we're big fans of free balling it. And um, <laughs> is that the right term? Is that okay? To- <laughs> I think that's Christina. the best, honestly. When people have their really scripted questions, they don't flow like something like this. This flows. We I, all about the it. flow, aren't we? Christina really yeah. loves the flow. She's our <laughs> she's our dancing flow girl, DJ D- Jazzy Christina over there. But we do. That's something we wanted this podcast to be was real, mm-hmm. transparent, yes. raw. Yes. We didn't want it to be tidy. That's why, like. We keep telling our editor, don't make it too perfect. We don't want it that way. We do want to talk over each other and cackle and interrupt. That's who we are. 
And mm-hmm. that's what people fall in love with. That's what a yeah, conversation is exactly. like. How many conversations do people go, pause, I mean, it's just not real. Yeah. So those of you who this gives a headache, I'm sorry. We like it though. It's not getting changed. <laughs> <laughs> We're probably not the people for you, but <laughs> I love that you were willing to come here and be so transparent yes. and to trust us to dive into yes, your story so because this well, is a and precious story. Yes. And educate us too and educate our audience about the the language that we're using and how we show up in situations and like how this. to fight. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. So Sarah, quickly, because we are way out of time, tell us Vertical Blonde. Where that vertical blonde. Yes. So, um, on Instagram, vertical blonde, my website, vertical blonde. I, I, again, going back to language, I thought if there is any chance of me standing and walking again, walking again, I got to start calling myself those things. And so vertical blonde was born kind of out of that. And then what I developed was this vertical mindset and this vertical way of living. And actually in my coaching, we follow the vert life method. So we talk about our vitality, our enterprise relationships and true self. And, um, it's really, it's been really powerful. And then we actually create our iconic identities. And that is really where true like movement comes from. That is the, there's the strategy is, you, you think about that time in three years of what you want to create and who you want to be. And then it's about becoming that person right now. So that three years becomes realistic. And so, mm. so we're good. always like, Oh, I'll be that way when, but it's like, no, you gotta yes. be that way now. And you have to imagine yourself at that place mm-hmm. before you're there and start to behave as that person before you're there. That's 100%. Mm-hmm. so good. Okay. So do you work with people who don't utilize a wheelchair. I do. So I just made the transition in January. It was really big. I was, I was really nervous to be honest, because I had all these clients and I was about to break the news to them that I'm no longer just going to be coaching those with disabilities because it started as fitness training and I got like my PT certification and all the things, but I was doing life coaching with them. Like we weren't even, Mm -hmm. I had an app for all their fitness, but like that was their strategy. We got to get in their brain. So I started doing a lot more life coaching and the mental side and the emotional healing and all good things. And so I, I really got invested in that. And I really discovered like how to create true confidence in people and if you learn nothing else from today, remember that confidence is an action word. It's only built through action, period. You cannot think your way more confidently. So I made the, the announcement to my clients in January that I would now be opening up my coaching business, confidence coaching for, I really love to work with those that are impact driven. So those that like really feel like they've got something in them that they want to create, but they need the confidence to get out of their own way to make it happen. And so, and that could be just, just be a better mother that right. More intentional and, and, you know, heal generational traumas through doing things Mm. differently. It could be that you want to start a business. It could be, you want to quit your job or get a promotion or whatever. Like if you are wanting to make an impact, you've got something in you that is craving for more, you know, you're made for more than you are right now. That's who I want to work with because that desire we can work with. It's the people mm-hmm. that are like that really makes me so excited because yeah, so I know there's people that need you. Fully inclusive men, women, disability or not. Age doesn't matter. My youngest is like 19. I think my oldest is 61. 
61. Oh, I love so that. All ages. I imagine men are signing up in droves just to be in your space, Sarah. Well, I haven't like like verb. I feel like my branding is still really feminine, so it's kind of pulling in the That's girls. Okay. So, but I just she's a, y'all. That, you can't see her, but this gal is a hot tea. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, the men are going to be like, "Ooh, can we? Can you, they'll be and, paying for coaching just to and, get a date." Gail, Gail is looking at your teeth because she loves teeth, and your teeth are absolutely oh, amazing. I have, I, I have teeth vanity. The best toothpaste ever, <laughs> ever. And it's called AP24. It's by New Skin. And it's like 24 bucks or something. You can find it on Amazon too. But it is the best toothpaste. I swear, I don't do any other like whiteners or anything, but it is, it is the best. I'm a whitening so fool. I, I, I have teeth vanity. We laugh about it all the time. Yeah. Christina has body vanity. Yeah. It's, I, I, I guess I can weigh 900 pounds as long as my teeth are white. There's whitest. nothing like a it's good like smile. <laughs> Especially it's just a guy. Oh. It's all so I wanted good. for my children in life to have beautiful smiles. And when I see a kid, this is so off topic, but when I see a, you know, a young man that has, be, I'm like, he had a good mama. She got him braces <laughs> and she sat on him when he was a toddler and brushed his teeth because <laughs> oh, you know they don't want to brush their teeth. It's so totally no. off topic. But Sarah, they do not want to brush their I teeth. feel. So served today and so yes. full. Yes. Just by being in your space. Like, can we be friends? Right. Can we be friends? Absolutely. We want to be your friend. <laughs> we want you, when we have our midlife moxie retreat, I'm yes. thinking of the people I want there and you absolutely have to come. Absolutely have to We don't know when yes. it is. Yes. So no, oh, we don't okay. know. It's coming. It's coming. We got to work through some things, but Amazing. Like, I see you there and I'm just, you've made my day. You have just Mm -hmm. made my day and I'm just filled my cup. I just feel a little bit teary. I feel so grateful. And, you know, I I feel blessed to get to do what we do and talk to people like you. Like, yes, everybody doesn't get to be in someone like you's space. And I hate that. And we have to change that. But I'm blessed today to have been in your space for this time, Sarah. I just want you to know that. Very I feel blessed. Just as blessed. Thank you so much. Aww. I mean, yeah. so, <sighs> we have to Filled wrap it up. Soul. But she my, said my she'd come back. Y'all heard it here. She's coming back. So, Sarah, send us some dates. You know, we record on Mondays. So, get your calendar. <laughs> but I know you're very busy and it takes a while. Or the next time you're in Hawaii, maybe we could just come there and record. That Ooh, would be an I'm idea. I'm going there for my 40th and I am planning to finally finish my book. I'm so excited. Yay! Oh, yeah. the end of March. I'm going for a week all by myself. Oh, good for so you. Don't give us any hotels or we year. might show up. <laughs> I went last year for a week. So good for you. Oh, I could go to Park City too. I've not been to Park City. Maybe I need to go there Park and just sit neat. with you. Is that Utah? Utah? That's or? Utah. I'm down in the valley. So I'm like down know. in Sandy Listen, Salt Lake. Park City is no where idea. they do like Sundance Film Festival. That's oh. Christina has a geography problem. We laugh about it. She oh, did. She, if it's outside of California, she has no. It could be in Ecuador. She doesn't know. It's okay though. We love her, and she's very, very cute. Um, <laughs> so, gosh, Sarah, again, but I'll thank have to you. Come. I'll have to come see. Um, they can I find you it. at verticalblonde.com mm-hmm. and on Instagram as verticalblonde. It's Sarah yep. Foley, and that's Sarah with an H, right? Yep. Sarah with an H, F O L E Y. All I mean, all there is to do again is just say thank you. And I hope you listeners mm. listen to this one on repeat. It's yes, it's a game changer. And Christina, until next time, 
What do we say? Go and get your moxie on. 